Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and a lot of <laughs> and a lot of beer makes you fatwa. <laughs> I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we are the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading our Patreon-selected book of the month, The Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie. And Nate is starting with a beer. Well, I think I won this episode, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, you <laughs> might, might have. Mm-hmm. This is The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, Double IPA, by Root and Branch. Because the two main characters, right in the beginning, they fall from a, from a plane. More about that later. One turns into the angel Jabril, and the other into the devil. That is the last thing that makes sense about the book. That was page one, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this I is an 8%, 8% double IPA. From Root and Branch, it is and Hudson Valley Brewing. It's very nice, Two and very it is very brewers. hot today. So this cold beer is very nice. It's hot as hell. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh! There is a passage when the the immigration cops are beating up. Uh, what's the fuck is his name? Saladin. Saladin, and they're making goat puns. <laughs> <laughs> they can't help it. So this is. I was like, that was the only part of the book. Where I was like, I feel that. So this book. Um, is very famous, and I think it's one of those books that's very famous and not many people have read. I think almost no one well, has read it. It sold a shitload of copies back in 1989, but did anyone read them? Not necessarily. I think a lot of people, people. People, people, people started reading it, and they were like, huh, and they put it down. He's dead. He's already he, dead. He's not no, dead. he's not dead. He's alive. What? Someone really? just tried he to kill him. Died. I thought <laughs> he, he almost died, died but he didn't die. Ah, I thought he was dead. He's like blind in one eye now. Like he got fucked up. Yeah. Wow, they really hold a grudge, huh? 30, like, yeah. Well, for a book that no one likes. Ago, whoever the successor I- Ayatollah is. Khomeini, was like, who is the son of Ayatollah Khomeini. Is this like Ooples and Banunus? Is that how they <laughs> name their children? <laughs> Just change one fucking vowel. <laughs> Close enough. But he was like, no, the fatwa is forever. It is irrevocable. And well, then, their uh, cop-out was the only person who can revoke a fatwa is the person who did the fatwa, which is Khomeini, who died only months after, in 1989, only months, or no, maybe years, a couple of years. He, he no, died it was like months. After. And according to his son, he never read the book. <laughs> well, Of course, be, no one in Iran has read the book. It would, be sac- it would be blasphemous. It'd be haram to read the book. I miss that gorilla. Uh, is that why they <laughs> killed him? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the book is, is has notoriety, and you've you know Salman Rushdie has this kind of like aura Mythos. to him because of this, and features- he was definitely the most famous writer in the world in you know nineteen eighty nine ninety ninety one. He was mentioned in a Seinfeld episode where Kramer thinks that Salman Rushdie belongs to his gym. Because <laughs> he's like, because Salman Rushdie's in hiding. And he's like, I saw him in the sauna at my health club. And they're like, no, you didn't, Kramer. He's like, yeah, but he signed in. I checked his name. He signed in and wrote Sal Bass. And they're like, what the fuck does that mean? He's like, he just swapped out one fish for another. <laughs> Which apparently Jerry Seinfeld met Salman Rushdie years later and was really nervous. He's like, did... Did you like that? Did you think it was funny? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, and we'll get back to the notoriety thing. I guess we should talk about what the book's about as much as we can figure out. It is a challenging one. And it's, it, 
the two main characters are two uh, Indian men. One is Jibril Farishta, I guess is how you say that, who is a like Bollywood megastar who makes like specifically religious movies. Where he just Hindu plays religious movies, even yes. though he is even though he is Muslim, or at least raised nominally Muslim. And then he the other guy is Saladin Chamsha, who had another name that was confusing to me because he because I wasn't sure if it was a different guy, because there's a lot of characters with almost the same name. I mean, it was, his name was like Salahuddin, and he changed it to Saladin because he moved to London because he was trying to whiten himself up. Yeah, he anglicized his whole, his whole shit. But he's... And was like, hey, what do you want your... You want this food to go? What do you want the salad in? He's like, that's it! <laughs> <laughs> so he is, you know, an Indian guy who's... Like, his big thing is like trying to be, uh, I guess whitewashed and, and accepted by the English. And he also works as an actor, but he's like a, he's a voice radio actor. actor or something, right? Yeah. He's mainly a voice actor where he pretends to be, where he does the voices. He can do tons of different voices, none of which are an Indian man. I mean, I'm sure he could do it, but it's just one too the very major theme of the book is, well, identity and specifically being Indian in London in, of the 1980s, in like the England of the 1980s. And, uh, uh, Saladin's lived there for years, and basically, which Salman Rushdie would know a thing or two about. Being he was born in Pakistan and moved to England in like the yes. late seventies, which to a British white British person in nineteen seventy nine, Pakistan India, same thing. Just they were just like, oh, you mean that thing we used to own? Like they didn't care. <laughs> they were not. If you're going to be racist, you were not going to distinguish between a person from which side of the partition. Yeah, and so. Saladin, Indian, uh, but living in London and pretending to be, essentially trying to be as white as possible, acting white, marries a white lady. Who's from the nobility, or like the upper class at least. Yeah. And then Jibril, who is the Bollywood star, is on his way to England for the first time to go sleep with the white lady. That's where you'll find him. Hallelujah. So, okay. (laughs) You find out a bunch of backstory. It's foreshadowing. You find out a bunch of backstory before, like after the first page of the book, because the first page of the book is the two characters, that's Jabril and Saladin, falling from the sky because the uh, the airplane they were in has just exploded over the English Channel, and there's a lot of symbolism of Mount Everest that comes up, and they were exact at the exact height of Mount Everest when it blew up, uh, and so they fall from the sky. But they don't die. Everyone else dies on the plane. The plane had been hijacked by Muslim terrorists. Were they Muslim terrorists wh- or were they Sikh terrorists? Oh, I thought they were Muslim terrorists. Maybe I was just assuming. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I was just assuming because they mentioned a Sikh guy at one point in the book. I was like, I'm clinging to anything that can make sense. <laughs> uh, I thought they were seeking it anything that makes sense. I, I was. Uh, but I, I, it also doesn't fucking matter at all. <laughs> I mean, does it? I don't know. So anyway, they fall from the sky, and they land, and then there's like this whole thing where it's like the page, the first couple of pages are really them just falling. And It is really hard. Jabril, the first couple of pages are... A, well, the first, the first couple of pages are extremely confusing and disorienting. Of course, you're like, what the hell? There's the ghost of this woman named Rekha Merchant, 
who is like taunting Jabril, and she'll come back a bunch of times in the book because she th- kill th- jumped off the top of the like the giant the the like high rise building she lives in in Bombay when Jabril wouldn't sleep with her anymore and killed she her also kids. she also threw her kids off the roof first and then jumped off after them so anyway so she's there like talking to him and then but is it is it Saladin who's like he's singing like the British national anthem or something like that which is you know symbolism of how British he is trying to be and they both like basically land on the uh beach and what was it in Cornwall? No. Uh, anyway, somewhere they basically like land in the water and they don't die, which is, of course, this book is magical realism. So you're never supposed to like, you don't, you don't need to like question that exactly, that, that there's no way that would happen. And like starting then, starting really like right at that moment, Jabril, either in his imagination or he actually becomes the angel Gabriel, or at least some people think he is, or the angel Jabril, or Gabriel in sort of the like English anglicized version of that name, and Saladin becomes the devil. But that's an important. It's not just. This is not a random angel because it's isn't the it? angel, the archangel. Yeah. Well, isn't the archangel Michael? If in the Christian tradition of the British, but uh, Gabriel or Gabriel is the one who isn't he the one that, like helped communicate the Quran to the Prophet Muhammad? Yeah. Well, he's also the one that, according to Christianity, told. Mary, that oh you're going to have a baby and it's oh, and it's well, going to be Jesus and it's going to be you know oh the son of God same angel Gabriel that according to Islam gave the word of God to the prophet Muhammad so it is like the same one Gabriel comes from the Hebrew name for he who has a big mouth uh, because he is just always talking to people and just <laughs> delivering the news but then uh, which is important because you know the fatwa thing. Um, and Saladin, but I found out, I was like, what the fuck was the long name? Because there was a, sh- a longer name in like the flashback passage where he's Salahuddin Chamchawala or something. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not saying it right. I was like, man, that's, that is a long ass name. And then they, he just sh- shortens it to Saladin Chamcha. Like the English are still not going to buy that dude. He needed to just be like Sal Chamsworth. And they're like, oh yeah. So then you get his story, but I'm already fucking confused. So... So you go, um, now there are side stories when we're one yeah, of them. That's one question. of these side are, stories are we is the try one to, that... Yeah, how do you want to do that? Do we do this in the order that makes human sense or the order the book does it? Because it goes back and forth, presumably in a way that has a purpose. Um, probably kind of the order the book does it. Okay. So As best as we can. So, okay. You get this, uh, you know, you get some backstory and then you get sort of like what happens when Saladin and Jabril, when they survive... And they survive their fall, and they are like literally found by this like ninety-year-old British lady who are just like, "Why are you on my beach? I told people to get off my beach." But then she takes them in, and it's like, "Wow, you guys don't look good. Where did you come from?" It's like, "Oh, we fell from the from the sky." You also get a little bit of backstory about how they were on a hijacked airplane, and they had like lived in. That essentially were hijacked and like kidnapped uh, for like what ninety days or something like that with the airplane like flying from one hundred and eleven you know, days. One hundred and eleven yeah. days, which I have a feeling that number is symbolic. I just don't know why. Um, so many times in the book, you're like, "What?" And <laughs> per page, per. <laughs> uh, she takes them in and um, almost like like within a day, within like a couple of hours or something like that. The 
the police, the British police, like immigration police, show up at her house. I forget this woman's name. And they're like, you, we, we know you're hiding an illegal immigrant here. Her name is and Rosa. Rosa. And then For they those of take, you who are doing a paper. And then they immediately take uh, Saladin into custody. They don't... To, yeah, to, don't listen to this if you're writing a, <laughs> if you're writing a graduate paper. That you, you should read the fucking book. But yeah. um, and then you can tell us what it means. Oh, they will. Uh, I've seen the comments. <laughs> they take him into custody and treat him like, oh, you're a dirty packy or something like that. But he's actually a British citizen who has lived there. It's like, call my wife. She'll she'll you know. Uh, he's married to a British lady. Yeah. So, but he like, doesn't I'm, say that. He doesn't tell them to do that. He He's does so, say call my wife, but he doesn't, but he is like very indignant and it is not like, doesn't say like, here's my passport. <laughs> of course, he probably doesn't have it on it, but, uh, but, anyway. but uh, Jibriel is wearing the clothing of, uh, Rosa's dead husband. So he's dressed like a British guy. So they just assume he's British, where the other guy's wearing clothes that look Indian or whatever to Also, them. he appears to have a halo of sorts. But that's not revealed to us just yet. That's like comes later, right? When uh, he meets the... Dude on the train. I thought it was like when the, the cops see him, they're just like, "Oh, he seems fine." I don't know why. Oh, maybe that's what I mean. His head was his head was glowing a little bit, like weirdly. Whereas um, Saladin is slowly turning into a satyr. He has goat horns, not the Jewish yeah. kind. No, he's, <laughs> he's tur- so he's arrested <laughs> by the police, who make a lot of like you know racist comments. But then he he does he just he actually sprouts horns. And his legs turn into like goat legs. So and he, he gets does a giant a goat seer. dick and balls. That is specifically there. And he's, and he's, he look, it says something like he looked down with amusement. It's like, mm. this isn't all that bad. <laughs> when he has <laughs> a giant goat boner as the cops are fucking beating the shit out of him. Yeah. And in the police van, he starts to shit himself, but there are like little little balls of of little poop the way goat a uh, shits. a it's goat like, yeah it's like a petting zoo the way a goat would shit and so and this is where they shit make marbles goat puns. He's taken in by the police. Meanwhile, Jabril hangs out with the old lady for a couple of days, but then she dies, and then and then he just like leaves. And he's like, oh, she she it seemed like it, her time. And then he like leaves and he takes the train to London and on the train the guy in the like train car with him is like it's you Gabriel like Jabril and the actual like angel not like oh you're the Indian movie star it's like I've been waiting for you and so this is when he starts to at least have like visions or like he starts to think he's the angel and also then he starts to have dreams and he starts to have dreams of History, specifically of like the time of the Prophet Muhammad, and he has like two, two or three of these. I think maybe only two, but anyway, this is what Salman Rushdie is going to get in trouble for. But he starts to have dreams, but yet it's framed as you're not okay. The book is magical realism, but you're still not sure if this is Jibril is an angel or if he's just having a dream of this time because he's also phrased as in because. Uh, Jabril, because he's a movie star, he's like, sometimes he, he literally views it as a movie. He's, he's like watching this dream of his as a movie. It's, well, yeah, it says specifically about the angel, right? The angel, everything's like framed in, in shots and panning and like as if it is a movie. But only during the angel's visions. It never says that like during Jibril's passages, like Jibril, the, the modern dude. 
But this is where Rushdie, I'm not sure, was he, was he trying to make it a little like, no, no, I'm not talking about Muhammad. Because he changes like, it's like fucking vanilla ice. Like he just changes one thing. And, and and it's like he every, changes one but um yeah like we and all it's like, know it's who you're talking thing. about because yeah. he doesn't call him Muhammad he calls him Mahound which is how Sherlock Holmes called his dog but he's like <laughs> Mahound a Mahound Mahound which which according to one website I read when I was trying to understand what the fuck this book was about that's what medieval Christians called you know infidels like all right maybe that's what this is. But it's clearly Muhammad. It's clearly a prophet Muhammad when he's uh, starting his religion, you know, his revelation, whatever. And and he's still in a city that is largely uh, polytheistic. Everybody is still worshiping dozens and dozens of gods, and they kind of make fun of them. Cause but they especially only these three specific gods, goddesses named... Mo, Larry, and Curly. <laughs> Named Alat, Al Uza, and, and not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which I, I went the a, a deep Wikipedia rabbit hole trying to understand who the fuck they were. Don't know, but it's there to go into. And so, in this, you know, like city, or you know, in in what is today Saudi Arabia, but it just, you know, uh, there's a like the main like rich guy. They're rich because they essentially charge people money for going to see the three like temples of the three goddesses like he and his wife who kind of own these things they're like uh, uh the, and it's goddesses and then the guy the rich guy in town goes to mahund and says like will you you know he who's trying to this is not the, you know gabriel's or Gabriel's first revelation onto the prophet but it's like later than that but only a little bit and um Mohund is like, uh, so anyway, the rich guy in town, the guy, the sort of like preeminent rich guy goes to Mohund and says, you know, you can, you can, I will let you preach as much as you want or spread the word of your, of your deity as, as long as you can also, you allow that these three goddesses can also be worshipped. As long as you, you know, if as long as you're okay with that, then we can allow you to uh, we can allow you to preach your, uh, you know, spread your word. And he, and so he thinks about it. Mahund thinks about it. And then he goes out into the desert. He goes out into the desert. And then he goes up to the top of the mountain. And he says, Jabril, what do you think I should do? And this is where the satanic verses part comes in. Jabril first says, yeah, okay, it's fine. And then, he, and then Mahun goes back to town and says, yeah, okay, it's fine. But then he, I forget what happens, but then he leaves again and goes back to the mountain and says, are you sure? And Jabril says, no, no, you're right. That's not okay. There's only one, only one God. And so Mahun says, uh, you know, this, it must have been, the, it must have been Satan that told me before that it was okay to worship these three goddesses. It must, the, these are the satanic verses that I just brought to the people and in the book, Jabril says, that, like, he doesn't tell Mahund, but he kind of thinks in his mind, like, no, it was also me. Yeah. I just changed my mind. Like, I, it, was, it was also me. They were both from me, which is the first part of the book that Ayatollah Khomeini is going to get mad at, though he's never actually read it. Anyway, there's a lot of politics around, around that we should, we should get into. But well, this is the first part so where... So this is, this is based on reality, though. Sort of. Um, so... 
There are based on reality. Well, I mean, but I mean, in so terms of Salman Rushdie did study like Islamic was, literature in at, at Cambridge when he was in college. So he did like know some stuff about. No, this. but it's is a part of the Quran. Are these there's a passage that like kind of seems to suggest that those three goddesses are. It's just something like the, to the effect of like they're the daughters of Allah or something like that. And now, like anything else in a bibl- in a not biblical um, religious text like that, everything is interpreted however you want. And apparently, in the first century or two after the Quran was revealed, um, people were like, "Oh yeah, that was just Satan fucking with Muhammad. He just tricked him for that one little spot." But then later, Scott exegesis was like, "No, no, no. Muhammad was perfect. He couldn't have made a mistake." So Satan couldn't have done that. And so that's, so like this story has like changed with, with Islamic scholarship. And nowadays, I don't know what the fucking answer is because there were, in fact, th- those goddesses were real among many others in a polytheistic pantheon that existed in the Arabian Peninsula. And in fact, one of their names, uh, Al-At or whatever, or Al-Lat or whatever, is just the female form of Allah. <laughs> So, you know, they might have just been, uh, was that syncretized? Is that that word? Like into, into one Swooshed. God is what happened with a lot of monotheistic religions. Like they, they started off as polytheistic religion and then they just like kind of morphed all the gods into one God, like, like a thing. Assimilated. Yeah, like the Borg. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, for example, if you look in the old Testament, there are like a whole shit ton of names for God. Like. Elohim and Jehovah and all that shit because those were other gods at one point. And then people realize, I guess it's just way more convenient to have one God. <laughs> like, like, you know, then it makes it just, it's simpler. So I've also like never understood thing. how both Christianity and Judaism and Islam can have like the angel Gabriel and Satan, but yet there's definitely only one God. Like, isn't that the same as like Zeus in the other god? In, but Zeus is the top god. But then there are. Isn't it like kind of the same thing? Those like, are why is no no. Those are goons. You know those are not. They're <laughs> yeah, not those the are same level. Angels was, level, but are they regular people? No. Angels was God's first draft, and he was like, well, I'm not really super happy with that. The wings a bit much. I want to see. Um, I want to see some people out of shape and shit. So then he made people. So they and ended. in the old timey stuff, I don't know. It's not really in the Bible, or it is in the Bible. Angels are not people with wings; they're things that are so horrifying to look at it melts people's brains. That's right. What, didn't you send you guys that was like that funny video making the rounds? Oh yeah. <laughs> when the guys like it's like the Pope talking to Michelangelo. It's like I want you to paint the Sistine Chapel. I'm thinking angels. And he's like, oh, okay. So like thousands of eyes and like wheels, and it's hard. He's like, no, no, no. Just making them a bunch of young boys. <laughs> so, oh, okay. What should they be wearing? They're not wearing anything. It's fucking hysterical. I've watched it dozens of times. Uh, Mikey, they're not wearing nothing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, there's especially Christian art gives a like, what angels are. I don't fucking know. Also, the. Um, there's like a huge amount, just like there is in Islam, just like a, a lot of the religions, religions, there's like the main text and then there's multiple amounts more. It's the of expanded universe. Expanded universe, exactly. <laughs> expanded universe stuff. 
like and some straight up fan fiction and that is you know i mean in in uh what the fuck is the word for it i don't know if there is like i mean a special it's, word for it's that. not it's not canon but it, it's canon now well it's like episode one you know like if you were to ask a person when in 1978 i'm like no that's not part of it but it got added later <laughs> but there's um was it the hadith right aren't those like the things that aren't in the quran that are people like no i remember muhammad said that the deleted yeah. scenes and they're like i remember <laughs> i remember him saying a thing once about the dvd extras yeah yeah You're like oh why they cut this scene it's great <laughs> it's like the it's like the dvd commentary <laughs> that's what um like uh jewish scholarship is like it's like they have like uh you'll open up a giant you know torah the size of a, a phone book and just like the first little column will be the actual text of the Torah. And then every column after that is comments on that passage of such and such rabbis. Then the comments on the comments and so forth. So you can like study the evolution of thought. I'm sure there is something similar for, you know, for Islam at this point and for, for every other major religion. So there's your very shitty comparative world religion lessons from the drunk guys. Um, but ultimately... Uh, the, the the mean guy, the Jafar, whose name is uh, Abu Simbel, he uh, and his wife is, is it Hind? <laughs> what the hell's her name? Hind, yeah. They, um, who they have like a weird open relationship where she's banging uh, the poet Baal, which is also a god in the Old Testament. It was like a I false thought idol. also a word for the devil. Yeah, because it's Baal a false a, god. Oh, he's okay. a demon or some shit, isn't he? Like Baal. But he's like mentioned, like, don't do that's a bad one. But it's real. It's just, a, you know, it's another God. That was before the, the great consolidation happened. <laughs> but Baal is a po- young poet. And Abu Simbel's like, motherfucker, I know you're banging my wife. So I want you to write nasty poems about Muhammad. Mahund. <laughs> like, Mahund, excuse me. Oh, come on. We all know who it is. Like, he changed literally one name. They still call the God Allah. They and then they don't call it Mecca. They call it Jahiliya, which is I don't know what that is. Maybe that means something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the Abu Simbel and Hind, Hind, whatever, they let the they 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 instantly like recant. They're like, no no no, you're, fuck you guys, and they kill Mahoun's Mahoun's uh, one of his wives, and start ruthlessly you know persecuting the followers of them. And then it sh- then it like in, as the book does in whiplash fashion it shifts to another thing, and that was like a not a hundred page chapter but of just this dream about Mohund maybe not a hundred pages but it was a lot it was like felt it felt like long, it. it's an extremely long <laughs> chapter of an extremely long book that way it was probably like fifteen percent of the book is that section and it comes at you with zero context for why you're now reading this so you're just like I guess we're here now okay. I wonder where this is going. This is j- hilarious. <laughs> no? no. So now a ton of other things <laughs> happened. Uh, Saladin, he gets like uh, uh, well, he he he's no longer in police custody. I forget how, but uh, he's living in the. Top he gets room. out because they call his wife, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, that's him." They, no, they they don't call his they wife. Call someone they find they look him up. After oh, yeah. like nine IMDb cops that are beating the shit out of him for a while, they and then they and then they have a pow on like oh fuck, 
there were witnesses. He looks, a, he looks a little goatier than before, but that's definitely him. But like, what? It's not our fault that he. What do we say? Like they have, they have a, a you know, the kind of conversation law enforcement officers are more comfortable having before foams were everywhere to record them. <laughs> They're like, oh, uh, we just detained. Before this. they had body cams. Yeah, you know. we detained this legal citizen and beat the shit out of him for hours. Whoops! Uh, let's he was just resisting say, arrest. Yeah, that's a, tell let's say him. He was, well, he was definitely resisting arrest. He ran into those bullets. Um, <laughs> but so then they dump him off. And then they, and one guy goes, well, we should probably like make him unconscious so he could wake up somewhere. And then the next thing he wakes up in, his, in a hospital bed. And one of the cops is like, you know, it turns out that old lady, she just died. And the other guy, we can't find him. So there are no witnesses. So maybe don't say anything. And then he just disappears. And then... Ch- Ch- Saladin just goes like because he's a fucking goat. <laughs> so he's taken in by some uh, Indian immigrants in, and he said the name of the part of London, and it didn't mean anything to me because I don't know London. <laughs> so well, first he's in the goat hospital, the, yeah, right, <laughs> right. But this is after he gets out, and then he's uh, he's living in the bed and the Shandar bed and breakfast, which is also a like the sort of like the best Indian food in London, or at least according to, in, in this book, you know, it's like, oh, that everyone loves the food from here. And there's like a, they, and they, cause they own the whole building, uh, you know, the whole like, you know, some kind of small building, but they own a bunch of apartments that they rent to new immigrants. And they put him in the attic cause he's a fucking goat. Cause he has <laughs> horns and goat legs. And big swollen balls. And people but are largely family, okay with this. But in this family, and this this is the part of the book which is very which is definitely about like being an immigrant in London in the nineteen eighties. Uh, well, it it and starts about how, in the like, goat hospital when every other person there is a half person, half animal, and they're like, "That guy's from Senegal. Those are three Nigerian guys. That person's from wherever, and they're all fucking seen as animals." It's like, wow. From the first part of the book where I had no fucking idea what was happening, this is very heavy-handed. <laughs> this is very obvious what is happening with the symbolism all of a sudden. To the point where I was like, maybe it's like, this is like 4D chess. Like, he doesn't even mean that. There's some other a super, or a, a subra text that I don't even know. <laughs> that, like, this is like, That's for the plebs to think. The smart thing is like... Because it felt so obvious. It's like, oh, they're animals. Got it. But then he gets to live in the goat attic. He's living in the attic, and this part where it's like the uh, the family that like you know owns the place and brings them in. They have these two. De- they're Indian, but they have these two teenage daughters who are into karate and smoke cigarettes and are very like very British. You know, like they are like. Um, and the parents very much disapprove of like you know how their daughters are not really like Indian anymore because they just act so so British. But the daughters, one is like eighteen, the other is like fifteen. The daughters also think Saladin is really cool. They're like, oh, this guy's awesome because you know they're they're kind of a outcast. They feel kind of like outcasts. This is like the like punk rock kind of you know generation i guess where they're like oh this guy with horns this guy's awesome um and so they're really friendly and not afraid of him even though everyone else is afraid of him because he grows and he's like literally seven feet tall and he's like has smoke 
blows out of his nose when he breathes. <laughs> and everyone else is like, holy shit. And the girls are like, this guy's cool. He's the greatest. Um, I know. The goat. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And so. Uh, that. Rushdie didn't think of that one. <laughs> there's like a, a bunch of things about like local politics. And I, and like the one girl, she's like fucking the like local, the 18 year old, the f- local politician lawyer dude. And then there's like crimes that are happening in the neighborhood. There's a bunch of stuff I either, I just kind of don't remember or don't understand about the section, matter. but it's clearly about how like the immigrant community does not feel like they're, they're like they're shoved away into this like a bad part of London. Uh, and there's like just dirt, uh, not just dirt, but like junk on the street, just everywhere and like garbage everywhere. And it is not safe because there's crime. And yeah, that's definitely what that part's about. Meanwhile, Jabril gets to London on the train and then wanders around because he has no idea where he is. And he's also like losing his mind because he thinks he's an angel and then randomly shows up at the woman's house, the woman that he had met in London and fell in love with before he got sick and ate a lot of bacon. Uh, <laughs> like literally, he got sick and then when he felt better, he had a he had a, like a hunger for bacon and other pork chop products. sandwiches. Well, he he got really sick and he prayed for God to make him better, and God didn't. So he's like, "Well, he fucking better, must not exist." So I'm gonna go eat a bunch of bacon because you know he can't eat pork as a as a Muslim. And he's like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna do me." Interesting strategy because usually eating I've never heard of eating a lot of bacon not making you feel worse. <laughs> Whatever is wrong. Well, with you haven't you. been doing it right. I mean, I've eaten a lot of bacon many times, and. <laughs> Uh, if there's like a if you were like plotting the line graph of the amount of times I've eaten a lot of bacon, the amount of times I've had just pure Hershey squirts, <laughs> then they would be like the lines would eclipse each other. So <laughs> I don't I don't count that as feeling better. Coincidence. <laughs> it's I mean fun fun time you know you know fool me once but <laughs> fool me nineteen times that's <laughs> probably the bacon. <laughs> but I'm just serious. Just like. Just terrible eating a lot of bacon, like, and, and it's and it's obvious it's not good for you when you look in the pan and like there's the stuff left over and you can't even throw it down the drain. <laughs> like, that's so clog you, the drain. Yeah. That's how you know it's bad. Like don't put that in pipes. Like what about my body? <laughs> that's okay. what about my pipes? <laughs> I'm made of much less sturdy shit than the fucking metal pipe. <laughs> <laughs> I have to baby the plumbing, but I'll just shovel that in. It's ridiculous. So good. Uh, speaking of shoveling it in. Oh, yeah, because we're not, I don't think we have any more beers today. No, we don't, because Mike and I are on medical leave. So it's just Nate drinking tonight. Beer's still pretty good. I'm almost done. Yeah. COVID's still a thing, apparently. Uh, and, uh, but so you know, it's also scan surgery. <laughs> You know, it's also still a thing, though, Patreon. And you can support the podcast over at fucking patreon.com slash drunk guys book club. That's, that's what I was trying to say. Where we just did a live episode with the patrons. You missed it. If you weren't there, join us for the next one. It was awesome. It was. Absolutely. Remember those things? Remember all the things that happened? Those were great Do you things. remember that funny thing I said? I it don't. was the best. That, yeah. was, that was when I was... Uh, I'm a changed person having heard that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you get all sorts of perks by being a patron, uh, including 
access to exclusive content, early access to episodes. You get to vote in the book poll, which did pick this. I forgot what the theme was this So month. once a month, for just $1, you can vote on the book we do. One of the, one of the books we do. Like those starving kids that you could support for $1. We have livers that haven't quite exploded yet. <laughs> you have a hunger for knowledge of what other people think about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> We're selling it. I think they're really buying it, guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> We're so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're also, of- you get back episodes and an archive of uh, arch- archive of a lot of our back episodes. It's really up to almost a hundred episodes already. That's too many of things you can't find on our regular subscriber legally. Feed. And they and they came out before anyone would have thought to pirate this shit. So you know, good luck. Though We're not be, famous enough for Pirate it, it Bay. It would be an honor to be on Pirate Bay. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> but don't most, get any ideas. But the most important thing is that you get shouted out on the patron poll episode. And this month, it is my turn to thank the fine people. So thanking those fine people in no particular order, and some of these are even real people. Clearly, Kayla, Dr. Don Keydick. Nice. <laughs> oh, I see. Is this... Mm, is this a real name? I don't want to say someone's last name if it's a real name. I think it's just Remy. Uh, yeah, I, I, but you know, until you say them out loud, you don't know sometimes. <laughs> I don't have to tell you that can, name. Can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> so Remy, uh, Aggie97, Avery, Humid Oyster, Linda, Nathaniel, Thick Richard the Third. Still waiting on the other two. Frederick, Sean, <laughs> William. These are all real people. Derek, Carol, Yolanda. Ah, here we go. I'm so glad. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm so glad Nate helped me move. But he didn't. But did he need to spend so much time painting the doggy door to look like his anus? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it had Nate's distinguishing anal marks on it. <laughs> Yeah, like, who's anus? <laughs> Maybe if we played the audio from Nate's visit to the ASPCA, people would stop saying I'm the hardest one to listen to on the podcast. Ouch. <laughs> I think we uh, have satanic patrons. I think. <laughs> oh, oh, look at this. this. This is a message from my dad who's a patron, apparently. <laughs> hey, Mike, it's dad again. Just wanted to give you a heads up. I'll be laying low for a little while. Stopped to use the bathroom at a bar yesterday and hit everything but the toilet. This is this is real life so far. It was a gay bar in a Puerto Rican neighborhood, so I'm pretty sure it's classified as a hate crime. <laughs> Remember to bring your own TP to Thanksgiving. Love, Dad. Will do, Dad. Will do. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Dad. Fight the man. Also, Grace, Catherine, Colton... Merkin von Grundel. Oh, he's from the nobility. <laughs> I get to continue insulting Jimmy. Bass players suck. Uh, honestly suck. I mean, who even knows any famous bass players? Guitar players are the real musicians. Zafa Beeblebrocks, Joe P, Hayden, the Emotional Support Burrito, and CL. Thank you all. Thanks, people. Thanks. Thanks a few of you. That's my feelings. I'm the hardest one to listen to on the podcast, but it's all right. <laughs> Not as hard to listen to as your mother's fucking wails when I rail her. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> back to the podcast. Because we've started to crack the surface of this book. Oh, God, we're really not even that far into it, are we? Um, this, there's a big About section third. where 
Jabril and Allie. So Jabril finds Allie in London. He manages to like upon where she lives, which also said the neighborhood, which meant nothing to me. So I don't remember which, where it was. Um, so Allie, which is short for Alleluia, which is her, her name, um, is a, a famous for being a blonde, like almost albino, like mountain climber, tall blonde, uh, but then she's like climbed Everest and she climbed Everest without oxygen, but she then, but she also has brain damage <laughs> because of it. Uh, so yeah, she climbed Everest. She, she, she climbed to the top of Everest, Everest without, um, without oxygen and stuff like this. So she's famous. It's, uh, and also from like a rich family and Jabril like fell in love with her in India and was on his way to London to do after his sickness to like re- get, get to her and he happens to show up and then they're together for a while. And, but at the same time, uh, Jabril is a huge pain in the ass. Like he would be like the worst person to live with cause he's used to just being rich and everyone in India being, you know, the movie's famous movie star and just everyone taking care of everything. But now he's, Nobody even really knows he's alive. People, everyone thinks he's dead. First, they think he died died of his disease, but then he was on the hijacked airplane, which blew up, so they think he's dead because of that. And there's the, the part with them and this whole thing. And then Saladin uh, also becomes more and more like angry with all the stuff going on in the neighborhood, but he's also angry at Jabril for not coming to help him. It was like that guy that motherfucker didn't like help me out and i'm here like living in this attic and everyone thinks i'm a crazy person except these two crazy teenage girls and but yet he one night when he literally grows to seven feet tall as a goat a seven foot tall like goat man and like has like smoke blowing out of his nose when he breathes and but he gets so angry that for some reason like his rage like gets pushed out into the community, but he turns back into regular Saladin. Well, once he guy. yelled when he when he had the phone call with Jabril and yelled at him, and it was like, "You motherfucker!" It was the first time his horn shrunk a little. So it's like by uh, saying, you know, getting it out of his system, so to speak, is, is is what he has to do. Like he's like he's like he's like literally he's like accumulating all of all of these feelings. It's making him into a scapegoat of sorts but when he ah. like yeah yeah but when he <laughs> then like <laughs> fucking gets it out of his system like you know he can go back to being a normal dude again because that's how it works yeah. and, and then he becomes a regular dude and then he goes and finally when he looks like a regular dude again he goes and finally finds his wife in london who has shacked up with saladin's best friend jumpy and his fu- yeah his name is jumpy and finally like so we skipped the part where uh, Saladin, when he had gone to back to India for, to, to see his father, but he had started fucking this other woman. Zini. And then his wife is now like fucking this other guy and like they don't love each other, but also she can now finally get pregnant, but she's also an alcoholic. No judgment. And a lot that happens. happens. But and also then- there's like a part where where uh, uh, Jabril's still a goat and he calls his house at night and Jumpy answers the phone and he's, and it's, he's, you know, who is the hello? And then 
Sal, uh, Sal was like, oh, never mind, wrong number. And then he tells the wife, like, I'm pretty sure your fucking husband called in the house. And she's like, you dumb bastard, he died. That plane exploded, you fucking idiot. And like, but then she, she, but she realized that she's able to, like, she, she had already made up in her mind that she wanted to leave him because she married him as an act of defiance because she's like a very well-to-do English woman. And wanted to defy her, you know, super rich parents. So she, she figured the way to do it would be to marry an Indian guy. Like, what would be the ultimate way to piss them off? But because he really wanted to be, like, an English aristocrat, essentially, or at least a, you know, a educated member of English society, her parents didn't mind so much. And, then, and so she was like, oh, this sucks. This isn't the fun active rebellion I thought it would be. So she was ready to, ready to split. Anyway, from... Uh, and that's what drew her to Jumpy, who everyone, it just, every time they describe me, he's like a pathetic little worm. But, uh, you know, but eventually, uh, Saladin does show up and then surprises them. It's a gotcha bitch. But also, Jibril has another dream. This one has two parts. The first is definitely, is just called the Imam, who dreams of, like, is, so this is the part where it literally depicts Ayatollah Khomeini and his like dream of taking over, uh, of coming back to Iran. So it just it's just they're called the Imam who is living in London and his dreaming of like he, he he you know his voice going out to his to his country and then there's this whole like battle and there's this thing about the Savak and you just call it the Imam, but definitely that is meant to depict Ayatollah. Khomeini, who actually lived in Paris, not London, I thought, uh, before he came back to Iran, before, the, uh, before 1979. There's that. And then the second part is about the girl who eats butterflies. Which yeah, is, yeah, that is it. Judges that, say yes. And then uh, I did not understand what this whole like section was about. I think this was, was a retelling of another old-timey uh, myth, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, but then in the like later part, they have a do when he has another dream about the same thing again. They like recreate Gandhi's salt march, and they're just gonna. But they're gonna march to uh, Mecca from the middle of India. But of course, you can't do that. It has to be without getting to the fo- sea, yeah. without without going through the sea. And he's like, "Oh, the seas will just part like Moses, and they'll let us walk." But uh, when they finally get there, the people just walk out into the ocean and can't swim, and then they drown. But also is the guy who his wife is dying of cancer. Did but not this understand is the, the section. Aisha, at all. the butterfly woman who was like an orphan child and uh, you know, everyone just assumed was like stupid. But then all the, there's a there's a passage like all the dudes in the town who are horny wanted to bang her until they thought, Oh no, she's probably possessed by demons and that's how you get demons, so no, we won't. We won't try to bang yes. her anymore. STD demons are the worst kind well, of cat. ST demons. Yes. It's just, that's, that's the true. In fact, that's, uh, if in certain churches, that's what all STDs are. <laughs> uh, as opposed to the, you know, thought-transmitted ch- demons. <laughs> or eating bacon-transmitted demons. And then you also <laughs> get a second dream from Jabril. Also, this is what Salman Rushdie is going to get. Uh, the Ayatollah mad at him for. So he has this, he has a second part about the city of Jahiliya and 
Mahund, but this is like a, a couple decades later, and it's about um, the, 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 the poet Baal, who... Uh, so essentially, Islam has taken over this town, but they talk to Baal and the other guy who's the scribe who like is writing down... Essentially, they talk to a guy who's writing down the Quran, because... Uh, uh, Mahund couldn't actually read or write himself, so he was just kind of like dictating. But the way it's depicted in this chapter, either two two things are happening. First is that Mahund is getting like the word of God from you know from the angel Jabril, but then like changing it because someone is like, oh, well, it's awfully convenient that you get to have 12 wives, but everyone else can only have three. And then the other guy who is the scribe says, like, oh, yeah. So he would tell me stuff, and I would change it a little bit, and he wouldn't notice. And so the problem with this section, at least for someone who is devoutly uh, Muslim, is that this is implying that the that the Quran is not the divinely inspired word of God because a very fallible uh, Mahund or Muhammad was changing it to suit his wishes, to suit his to suit what he wanted, and or the other guy writing it down was the, also changing it. So it's not the word, the divinely inspired word. And this is a probably in even the really the main, even bigger thing that Salman Rushdie is going to get in trouble for. Not that anyone in Iran actually ever read this book, but this is kind of the main thing, I guess. Well, it's a oh, pretty yeah, heavy definitely. slander. <laughs> you know, because it is, though, here's the problem. It's this work of fiction that happens to be about, about Islam. And it happens to be showing, like, like in this work of fiction it is implying that the word of Muhammad is not the, actually the word, so that the Quran is not the, you know, completely, completely accurate, let's just say, or completely the word of God. I think this the is, kind of people who uh, are willing to kill a dude over that are not going to see the distinction. No. <laughs> He's like, I have told you already, it's fiction. So many times. Uh, and so, I open, Rushdie. also in this, like, chapter ball he has to like hide in the brothel and there are like 12 oh no yeah (laughs) yeah actually so he has to hide in the brothel and pretend to be a eunuch but he's not a eunuch and then he takes uh 12 of the prostitutes as as wives himself but the prostitutes take the names like pretend to be the names of the prophets, wives, 12 wives, even though... So this is a thing where a few people who hadn't read the book believed that Salman Rushdie is implying that the prophets' wives were prostitutes, but that's actually not what he's saying. He's actually saying that these prostitutes were pretending for the clientele of the city, uh, just taking the names of, of his wives. It's a weird, you know, kink some people have. <laughs> Whereas in reality, the Prophet of Muhammad's wives were a wide range of women, including older women who had money and a child. So don't, don't insult them, man. You don't want to limit yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, and so this, this part, which is sort of like the conclusion chapter of the, the dream about Jahiliya, this is what Salman Rushdie is like going to get in the most trouble for. And 
Okay, so let's talk about what happened to him. So the book is published in 1988, and then it narrow. So it was uh, shortlisted for the Booker Prize in because he had uh, um, Selman Rushdie had previously won in 1981 for Midnight's Children. Midnight's Children. That's it. Uh, and then, and so it is a very celebrated, like both like very British author, but British Indian author. Or, you know, actually from Pakistan, but and it's you know the like. A very important person. Meanwhile, so he comes out with this book. It's about Islam, but when it comes out in 1989, uh, when it comes out in 1988, and then 1980, he was from Bombay. I forgot. Why did I think he's from Pakistan? I mean, he's Muslim, but he's he, he's from India, India. Back when it was British India, maybe. I was like, I just I just read his Wikipedia page to pretend I knew something. I fucked that up. No. You fucked up. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's Indian Indian. My bad. A rare drunk eyes retraction. My bad. I try <laughs> I wasn't trying to like be uh glib. No, I mean, it, I mean save that for many, many generally I guess it, you know, you could say just, oh I he's Muslim, so you would assume he's from right. Pakistan, but I mean the both the characters in the book are Indian Muslims, so does that make some amount of sense? His family was Kashmiri. So, you know, they're from that area that neither side will stop laying claim to. That both sides <laughs> claim. <you> yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's where I got that from. Um, this is from an article in 1989 by uh, Michiko Kakutani, who is, who's the big uh, New York Times book reviewer. Opening sentence is, born, into a, born in Bombay to a Muslim family, which later moved to Karachi, Pakistan. That's where I got my mistake. Probably I, that they moved to Karachi probably during partition in 1947. So I he read was born that. in 47. Yeah. So yeah, he, he spent minimal time in Bombay, but he was okay. So I blame them. I blame the New York Times. They got it New wrong. York Times Fake news. The failing New York Times. For the failing a New York Times. Yeah. I because I, I, I was like, what did what was the New York Times review of this book? <laughs> That's what I wanted to read. And uh, then there, all, all, all the articles you can find are, without paying for them, because fuck, why would I do that, uh, is uh, are I'm not going to pay money to read a 40-year-old book review. They think I will. <laughs> uh, instead, I read a 34-year-old article about the fatwa. <laughs> <laughs> so the book comes out. It's, you know, and he's a, he's a very, like, celebrated, like, British Indian author. Uh, because he had won the Booker and stuff like that, but he's probably only like moderately well known, well known in literary circles, but not that well known. And then 1989, uh, in February, it was it was actually Valentine's Day, 1989. Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran literally comes out with a statement that says that you know this that uh, Salman Rushdie is a blas this is a blasphemy and literally puts out what's a, a thing called a fatwa, which this is probably the time that Westerners first heard that word. Uh, a fatwa, meaning a death sentence on Salman Rushdie or any or his publishers and actually put both a monetary like reward of what is around like $2 million or at least I saw quoted as around $2 million, which was actually increased as late as 2016. Um, so this is uh, exactly him. gone away. Uh, and a like promise by the Ayatollah that if you manage to kill him, you will like definitely go to heaven or something Extra like that. Extra virgins, dude. Way <laughs> more virgins for you. 
79. Uh, <laughs> Super nice. But I think the... I love, I love the idea of them increasing the price as if that was the problem for like the would-be ISIS fighters who are like, I don't milk a yak for less than $1 million. But <laughs> <laughs> I kill this guy. Pay up, Khomeini. <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, did there, so why did I look, Ayatollah Khomeini say it? Is it just because he believes so strongly in Islam? Or was it because of politics? Because even authoritarian leaders have internal politics they have to deal with and a really easy way to like shore up your base, shore up your like base is to create an enemy for people to hate. I mean, this is really, we can, you know, 1984 talked about this, um, but this is a very common tactic to make people hate something, especially because at this time, you know, the still, I mean, still to Till today, but it, especially in 1980, in the 1980s, Iran was very much like it's us against the West, and they're like condemning this celebrated Westerner who is Muslim or isn't Muslim-ish. I mean, he was raised; his family's Muslim, and he, though he himself doesn't necessarily like believe in it, he's a hardcore atheist. And, and so he's now. friends with Christopher Hitchens, and I read Christopher Hitchens' article about him. Um, about this. So anyway, uh, so it was really at the same, in, during the same year in 1989, like the uh, Ayatollah Khomeini had to actually sign a peace treaty with Iraq to end the Iran-Iraq war, but that made him kind of look weak because they didn't just outright win the Iran-Iraq war. And so the speculation, at least by Christopher Hitchens, is that the Ayatollah Khomeini needed an, and needed to shore up his base, his like hardcore fundamentalist base, and be like, well, I sure I have to sign his peace treaty with our enemy, but that British dude, fuck him. And that's really why he did it. And so in the book, anymore. the thing that Muslims, that or at least Ayatollah Khomeini, is getting angry at, which is this depiction of the prophet using religion in furtherment of politics. Ayatollah Khomeini is absolutely <laughs> using religion to further his politics, and he's condemning uh, Salman Rushdie for, for this, in, in this way. So he's literally doing the exact thing in the book that it's is being me- condemned. It's very me- meta. I would also say, now having read Satanic Verses, that this isn't a big part of the book. It's not like, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's super important. I don't think, I mean, it is a thing that happens, and I, I'm sure that, I'm sure that Salman Rushdie knew that people wouldn't be happy about this, but it's, a, it's literally like one page in a, like, a giant novel, in a giant work of fiction, no less. And it's like one page, and that I very much doubt that Salman Rushdie thought, he would get a death sentence and have to live in hiding for 10 years and then probably should have lived in it longer. Yeah, that's fun. That's, I did not know all that about the Khomeini stuff. But, that, but the idea of shoring of your base by finding an outside enemy is pretty familiar to <laughs> the modern world. But I, I like to imagine him saying, like, my friends, they hate us for our lack of freedom. <laughs> 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 They hate us for our no freedom. That is bad. Um, I, I mean, we didn't finish the book yet, but I think, I think if the book is about being an immigrant in London, 
You don't need any of the fucking Muhammad passages. They're a distraction from that story. I don't think they add to it. Like I feel like they're like they're they're really not part of that at all. Because it's cause, not a big part of the book. Because if it's, it's about a very small being part in, of the book, because it's not even about being a specifically Muslim immigrant in London, where it would make sense to explore something about what Islam is. It's about being Indian, which is different. That's like an, an, an ethnic thing or, you know, a physical, racial, whatever the right word is, thing, not a religious thing. So it kind of not, I don't see what it, has, what it adds to that, to that story. It's all about, expo- but, but religion's all throughout the book too. So, I mean, my, my main criticism of the book is like, I think it's too ambitious. He's trying to do too many things. Um, by having, you know, all the stuff about immigration and the various forms that takes for these Indian men. But then also there's this whole other thing about religion that they just seem like two totally different stories to me. You know, because there's like religious shit all around, like from like page two, there's tons of religious things in there. Like the fact that when Jibriel and Saladin are falling, like one of them sees an angel and the other one doesn't or something like that, like... But one of them was religious, and one of them one of them played religious characters, and one of them did. Like, there's this weird like like the the pair thing, the duology thing of, of Satan and and the, and the angel thing, and you know, insider and outsider, or whatever. I don't know. I just felt like it didn't it didn't add anything. It just it just felt like he smushed a bunch of weird it's just a bunch of shit in there. Together. It should have been two separate books. Should have been a book about like a fictitious thing about Prophet Muhammad, and you know that would have pissed off people. And then this other book about being a brown guy in England in 1986, and then, uh, you know, that would have won some prizes. It just felt like two different books. You could still turn into a goat. could do it in both, you know? Yeah. That could be the middle of the Venn diagram. So I watched an interview that uh, Salman Rushdie did. It's 60 Minutes. This is uh, Mike Wallace uh, in 1989, where he's, this is like only months oh, into the Oh, man, like, I wish I was going to say it was Andy Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> Why are they Andy call Rooney. it a fatwa? <laughs> it's not very fat. It's not very fat. I don't even know what a why is. <laughs> uh, so, why are they um, talking so, about? Uh, Mike Wallace says, like, well, for, at first he says, uh, I prefer uh, satanic like, choruses. You know, <laughs> like Iron Maiden. <laughs> he, uh, he asked. He asked someone Rushdie, like, well, why'd you do it? And he's like, well, if I th-, and someone Rushdie's like, well, if I knew, I would have to live in hiding. You know, when I'd be like separated from my family and I'd, all these people would be in trouble. And we didn't even mention the fact that like the publishers, some of these publishers were murdered. The like, Japanese translator murdered. was killed. Yeah. And other like people were, were um, also murdered and other violence against other translators and publishers and stuff like that. But anyway, he would say, if, like, I, if I knew all this would happen, I wouldn't do it. Because Mike Wallace is like, listen, you sold a million copies of the book just this year. Um, like, and he was like, it's not worth it. I, w- I would give it all up. But then he says, if I knew I was going to get in this trouble, I would have written a much more critical book of Islam because it's not actually very critical of Islam. It just has this <laughs> one thing that some people find not so great. But he's not really being critical of Islam. Exactly. No, he, there's really. a lot more he could have gone into if a he wanted more. to really be critical of, of like religion. the whole fatwa thing. 
Well, that hadn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> when he wrote it, that had not to him. <laughs> uh, so anyway, he's going to get his low. So this is where he like. So he lives in hiding. He's in, like, like a, Scotland a, a, a Yard. Cat Stevens is mad at me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so do you see what Cat Stevens said in like 1989 about this? Big move, man. No, because Cat Cat Stevens became a Muslim in like I don't know 82 or something like that. Was that far back? Yeah, yeah I mean his like his singer songwriter days were the 70s. So it was around 80, somewhere around oh, okay. there he became Muslim. And he was talking, and then he's like, "Well, he blasphemed, and the Quran says you should kill blasphemers." So there you go. Wow, when Cat Stevens thinks you should die, you've really fucked up. But then Cat Stevens was like, I was joking. It was a <laughs> British joke, because Cat Stevens is actually British. No, I think he's like Greek, actually, but he's... Uh, well, his name is Cat Sopolis. Yeah, uh, Cat, Cat, <laughs> Catapapadopoulos. Cat Stos. Uh, <laughs> Stevedopoulos. Uh, he, uh, but he was like, he should be killed. No, but he... Uh, he then it was like, no, no, it was just a British humor. Stephen Dimitri Giorgio. Yeah, come on. That's not... None of those words are cat. But he's a cool cat. But yeah, Cat Stevens was like, <laughs> not riding the... He's not I'll get allowed on my peace train. <laughs> it's a wild world. Sleep. <laughs> They're coming for you, Sal. Can't think of any more Cat Stevens songs right now. So a number of people in, in, in England were like, no, he shouldn't have written it. So Salman Rushdie shouldn't have written this stuff. I mean, some were Muslim, but also some were not. Some were just like liberal, liberal and conservative politicians were like, well, what do you think was going to happen? And it's costing a lot of money to provide security for him, but not enough, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. So in 19... Uh, so that was in 1989. In like 1998 or 99, the government of Iran said, okay, I guess we're not lifting the fatwa, but we're not going to pursue it. And so, and then Salman Rushdie was able to like starting, you know, around then not live in quite the same amount of security. But that was like 10 years of essentially living in witness protection program, more or less. And then he started to... Uh, be a little more out and about. I remember uh, in the Colbert's show on Comedy Central, they did this thing where uh, it's uh, where Salman Rushdie was on the Colbert, uh, on the Colbert show, and it's like, oh, are, where are you? And in, in, you're you're in an undisclosed location, and they just had like two cameras, like but they were actually sitting at the same table, but they were like sitting at the same table in the studio, but they were both just like talking to a different camera, so it looked like they were in separate <laughs> locations. <laughs> It was a pretty funny joke. But then, in the fall of 2022, he was at, he was giving a talk on Long Island where... First mistake. Yeah. <laughs> where then somebody, uh, I forget his name, but I think they were Muslim, came up and s- tried to kill him. So I just want to he, point out, it was not Long Island. Oh, what it, was it? It looks like a Long Island name. <laughs> <laughs> Chattaqua. That, you know, like, that's definitely right by a hot hog. Now, that is like uh, fucking Western New York all oh, the really? way over. Yeah. Close enough. It is like right by, uh, it's like Pennsylvania over there, like deep into Pennsylvania, almost at the taint. <laughs> so he's attacked on, it's so he's giving a like book talk on stage and someone literally charged the stage and tried to stab him to death. And he was stabbed multiple times. He was stabbed in the, like 
he like stabbed in the liver and like in the throat and he like lost an eye, like he lost his right eye, lost one of the use of one of his hands or something like that. Like it was, it, he like eats amazing. He's still, Salman Rushdie's still alive. Like really amazing. And this was just like six months ago. I mean, okay, eight months ago, 10 months ago. So it was just like, was this, a year this ago. is still a thing. <laughs> It was a year ago, like yesterday, actually. No, but really? Yeah, it was August 12th, but whatever. No, no kidding. Uh, so it was a year ago, which you, <laughs> you would think that... 53 weeks ago. <laughs> Stabbing a 75-year-old man multiple times in the head and face, including, you'd think that that would do him in, but he's got staying power, apparently. I, I'm, I would be willing to bet he is now much more careful about his security, but I don't know. If you'd ask him, would you say, is it worth it? I bet he would say no. I bet he would say, you know, he, I'm sure he believes in freedom of speech. He believes in, you know, the right to, you know, he believes in the, the art of writing and everything like that and writing the books he wants to write, but would it be worth, like, living his life in fear for so I mean, long, I bet he would off, say. He was I bet he would say a bunch of times. <laughs> I bet he would say no, not really. But I think, I mean, he's kind of like a freedom of speech absolutist, right? That should be able to do it. Just maybe not. Maybe he wouldn't do it, but <laughs> one should be able to do it. Yeah, that's fair. So let's finish going through this dumb plot because uh, this is a fucking. So no, there's a lot. Really a lot. Oh god, is there a lot left? There's a lot left. Um, so I definitely Careful. pay much more attention. <laughs> To the first half. There's a bunch of things. Uh, Jibril in London, he gets like sort of like rediscovered by like uh, people like movie producers. And it's like, oh, we're going to put you out on stage and then we're going to like make all these new movies. You're going to be a new star again. And then he, but also Saladin, because he's still mad at Jibril, does this thing where he like uses his voices, all his acting voices. And he call, he does all these like prank phone calls, but... They're both to make Jabril think that Ali is cheating and Ali to think that Jabril is cheating. And it's like all, he, he, he does these like, um, not nursery, nursery, like little limericks almost. And then eventually Jabril like, or, or Ali kicks him out. Hallelujah, Cone. Kicks, kicks Jabril out and like doesn't like all the people that he's around anymore. And then Saladin is like, you know what, Jumpy? go ahead and fuck my wife. I don't love her anymore because she gets pregnant and that's what she really wanted. She wanted a baby. And I was like, you know what? It's fine. And then there's a like race riot in London. And then... Because of the granny killer? <laughs> it's like a way more the detail gra- than The I granny needed. ripper. Yeah, oh, the granny ripper, right. It was like murdering, you know, and then there was like a racial element to that, right? Who they arrested and... Well, it's uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, we don't even need to get into it, but there's like there's like so much stuff about that. But essentially, I don't exactly remember what happens. But Jabril is in a building, but he's like burning it down at the same time. And then Saladin decides to rescue him, but this is in the like the race riot part. But yet, and then Saladin feels kind of bad that he did all these like prank things and broke up Jabril and Ali, and then. Saladin goes back to India because his father is dying of cancer and then his father dies of cancer and then he but Saladin kind of like inherits all because his father's like a super rich dude uh, 
in India and kind of inherits this and becomes like an important person in India. And then Jabril comes back and then murders Allie and throws her off the roof and murders the other guy, the other producer dude, something like that. And then, and then Jabril goes to see Saladin, but he like, then he like has a gun, but then he gets arrested and then Saladin decides to like, just stay in India. So he's now changed his identity from being, you know, being a Londoner at the, you know, in the prehistory of the book, being Indian, but living in London, trying to be as white as possible to now sort of embracing his Indian roots in India. And then there's the end of the book. And he gets back with the woman from the beginning of the book that he's with. Yeah, back with the back with the woman. Uh, Who's the doctor? Min- minus that. There's there's that's the that's the plot minus. 10,000 things because it is an insanely <laughs> long book. Yeah, well, if that, okay, because at the end, he, because he, he, when the dad dies, he, like, finally, like, talks to the mo- the stepmother, <laughs> Nazarene number two, that he uh, would, wouldn't even go to their wedding. Like, so many things. And we didn't really talk about all of the other, I mean, you get into all the details of, like, the weird dream shit, but I don't want to. I'm not sure if they matter. I mean, I'm sure they matter to the book in some way, but they don't matter to me. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Rushdie, like, like these stories, even though I'm like, I think the stories don't need to be there. The, the parallel stories have something to, like, that they, they are parallel stories. Like the dream sequences, the, the storyline of um, Mahound and well, Mahound and all that is somehow a parallel with the modern day London story. I don't fucking understand how, but I realized as I was reading that this is this is a book that was written for literary critics. <laughs> this was like this is a book that's really smart and really it's, it's post postmodern. It's it's really carefully constructed. And there are passages of amazing writing. There are passages that are very funny there are passages that are really touching. There's stuff that it gets really exciting. And then there's just like, oh, what the hell is this? And I feel like it's the kind of book that a person who reads this kind of stuff for a living and has an advanced degree in it and teaches about it or writes about it is going to love. But for the million people that bought this book in 1989, I think there were many, <laughs> many of them were very disappointed. I bet most and of them all of them were confused. It. I bet none of them finished it. Just about none of them did. Some lied. Oh, yeah, definitely. I wouldn't say that I finished this. Well, you did manage to give it a one-star rating on Goodreads. Well, you know, once again, the rating system is, did you like this book, not is it good? No, I'm sure that it is good for some people, but for me, I hated this entire experience. I was like, okay, for the first chapter, and then it just evolved from there. Just like, man, I... Once you lose the thread, it is impossible to pick back up. I don't know if I ever had it. <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was really long. And there were just giant chunks where it was like, I don't know who these people are. Yeah, I was trying to read it pretty quick. And then there'd be a new Can't section like, I fuck it. Who is this? Is this the same book? <laughs> I, I feel like I put like a solid 10 hours of like really trying into this. And I was still just like, I don't know how much more effort I can put into this i'm not getting anything back this is making me hate reading i think it's you need, not it's, for, it, for me it's not the book that you try to read in a week 
That's for sure. This is not the kind of book. Yeah. Uh, no. No. Absolutely not. So I actually was really liking it for at least the first half. Because um, it is funny and it is like satire. And, uh, but then, and I was like really trying. And like so a bunch parts of it I read twice. Like the whole chapter about Mahund. I'm like, uh, you know, I, I have, I'm just going to go back and read that again. And then the second time you, I was like. You read an extra book. Okay, I think <laughs> I know it was. It took, it took forever, and I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm, I really like need to, to read this carefully." But I was actually really liking it. But then it just went on and on and on. And then by and then I also after like a good like ten hours of really putting time into it, I'm like, "Ugh!" And like the story about the girl eating butterflies, I have no idea what that's about. So there were lots of things I didn't understand. But she was a. F- I think that was some sort. Of, that was reference to some other prophet, maybe Jesus. I don't know. I don't know who the fuck knows. He does mention Jesus like one time by name, or almost by name. He mentions Gabriel. Well, telling Jesus a girl is an that, important figure in the Quran. He was the guy that almost got it right. Yeah, almost. He's almost there. But he had a. Uh, yeah, it was like a throwaway line about him. I, I I I don't hate. I didn't hate the book. I felt I felt in, in, uh, felt inferior reading it. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, is... I definitely felt that. I know, I know, it was just me. I don't think that necessarily that it's bad. It's just it's outside my wheelhouse. It's on a different ship entirely. In the wheelhouse metaphor, it's um, steering somewhere <laughs> else. Yeah, we are ships passing in the night. And yeah, but and, one of you, one of our ships is. In the Pacific Ocean, and the other one is in the Erie Canal. And the other one is on fucking Mars. <laughs> it's the canals of Mars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think this is the perfect book that you need a Sherpa for, that you need to take a class on it. And I also think, you know, I had, I, I had this question, you know, maybe I didn't like it so much because I lacked so much of the historical and cultural stuff to, like, root it in anything. Like, I don't know much about Islam. So, you know, a lot of that felt like a history class to me, which was fine because I like history, but it, was, it wasn't it was like something that I grew up with where I know it really well and I'll just recognize the stories and I'll just recognize the meaning of it right away because I already know it. And that, you know, maybe that's an issue for, it's probably an issue for a lot of readers and certainly myself included of like, we have our, you know, the cultural lens we see things in and any, if it doesn't fit into that, then it's a lot harder to like it. And, and then maybe, um, it, maybe it's kind of a dick move for me to be like, this, I don't, this book sucks because I don't understand it. Cause a person who does understand it might, would really enjoy it a lot more because it wouldn't be working at it the same way that I'm working at it. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, it is again, one or five stars is it's not a real rating system to give of any uh-uh. subtlety. It's just like, it literally, if you hover over it, it says, I liked it, or I didn't like it. Not, this book sucks. It's, did I like something? This right. book, for me, I didn't like it because I didn't understand it. And because, no matter, I, I really tried. I really tried. Like, I was in it for a while there. But after a while, I was just like, I am just, it's, I, I'm not getting anything out of this anymore. And I've, I'm never going to at this point, unless I take a quick college class on this book, then I read it, which I'm not going to do. So, you know, it's not for everybody. I'm not sure who it's for. Booker judges. 
Well, they didn't. They didn't win. Ugh. Even uh, them. I think they were like, "Ooh, we don't want to be on that kill list." <laughs> <laughs> That's also true. Because <laughs> they gave it to a book that you've never heard of, without looking. Do you know what won the Booker that year? I don't know. Won the Booker almost I, every only year. Only because I looked it up literally earlier today. And were you like, "Oh yeah, that classic"? And, and I was <laughs> like, "I'd never heard of it," and can't remember. But I really did look it up earlier today, and can't it, remember. It lost to Oscar and Lucinda. By Peter Carey. Oh, that classic. Sure. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, he, uh, he is uh, the same author who wrote The History of the Kelly Gang. Mm. So, a very celebrated Australian writer. Uh, but, you know, not, uh, not, not a book that has the same name recognition today. You know, f- Definitely not. 40 years or almost 40 years later, 35 years later. I am glad that I finally understand what the controversy was. Around satanic verses, around this yeah, book, in, like I'm glad I finally learned about like what was the deal with this because I knew that Salman Rushdie, I knew like that he was in trouble and then <laughs> hiding, but I had, didn't he know did idea. A bad thing. I, I had no idea what was in the book that people were angry about. Yeah, I just knew it showed. I, I as the way I had always heard it because most people know. The simplest part of it, they he's he, someone, the Muhammad guy, right? They don't know even what it is that he showed or said, but they'll often just say, well, you're not allowed to depict the Prophet Muhammad, and he depicted the Prophet Muhammad. Like, that wasn't the problem. The problem is that he depicted him in a less than perfect light, uh, because that's what, I, that's what I had understood. He depicted the Prophet Muhammad when you're not supposed to do that, which, you know, people... You before nine eleven, people were more comfortable doing that. So clearly, that wasn't like. Remember, there was a South Park where they had the Prophet Muhammad as like part of the yeah. Super Friends. Yeah, and he was like Muhammad mm-hmm. Flame. <laughs> He's like Delson <laughs> from Street Fighter. And then they, then they like that took that episode out of circulation. And it reminded me, I in I, I want to say it was like seventh grade or sixth grade. So this is the late nineties. I we had this. I went to Catholic school, so we had this project where we had to like do a research thing on super assigned a random historical religious figure who wasn't a, in the Catholic church. This was, this was the school pretending it wasn't just indoctrinating us. And so... Do a report on a heathen. So people like someone had like, you know, the Buddha or Confucius or whatever. And I had Muhammad. <laughs> and the format we were supposed to do is like, you're supposed to like read about him, like go find like in card 97 <laughs> and <laughs> copy that article, but in your own words, <laughs> that was the project basically. And then draw a picture of them. <laughs> oh no. Ooh. But I didn't know you weren't supposed to. <laughs> like, and neither, and it wasn't like the teacher was like, Oh no, Michael, that's wrong. <laughs> that <laughs> is offensive. That <laughs> Nobody fucking blinked. <laughs> Of course, it was like 1998. They were like, whatever, man. Yeah, Nobody even knew. <laughs> In Queens, nobody knew. Not, not in that little corner of little bastion of whiteness. <laughs> Muslim, the Mohammedans? No, so they... <laughs> but literally, my, my homework at Catholic school was to blaspheme. Draw it in pork. <laughs> and then right underneath why he's wrong. 
I seriously, that was a real project I had to do. And I just, I could, I remember it. I was like, what did, and I didn't well, Hopefully like, you've burned There's that. like never any pictures of him. What did he look like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wonder if the, wonder if that teacher even thought about it. Like she just like had this list of people she found somewhere. I was like, oh, here you go, kids. You could, she you probably get, didn't know either. No, they had no idea. No idea. I, I guess I agree with you, Nate, though. It is, it is nice to know what the controversy is, and, and now you can have a bit of an opinion on it. Having read this, you're like, and it's dumb! No kidding. <laughs> Definitely not worth killing the dude over. In one place, there was like a riot, and like 30-something people got killed because of this book. It's like they mistakenly thought the publisher was there, and then they burnt down the hotel, but it, he wasn't there. But 37 people died. Yeah. Like, Whoops. That's a bit much. It's a well, bit much. Rioting religious fanatics aren't ones for subtlety or retraction. So, <laughs> so who should read it? Sounds like only the those who are not uh, not the faint of heart here, because it, it is a tough book read. expert. If you're up for a real challenge and you want to, you're gonna have to. I mean, I feel like you have to look up a lot of this shit, or you're gonna really spend a lot of time sussing out, or just miss it. We fucking missed plenty. I know that. It's not a. We are farm experts. Oh, hey, I like reading book. It's not. No. Don't do but that to yourself. Having also read Midnight's Children, I don't think Salman Rushdie is a casual I like reading author. I haven't read that, and I don't want to. It, it was tough. E- easier than this. But maybe that's because I understood a little bit more about Indian history than I do about other things. Well, tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at Drunk Guys Book Club. And uh, if you listen this long, want to head over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Drunk Guys Book Club and support the podcast. Or just leave a review or just shout our name into the void as you plummet from an airplane. Because no one listens this far. And you can also find us on Goodreads, which is now known as X. Wait, is that something else? <laughs> <laughs> and check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.